Libby. And I'm Farron. And this is the tip of the iceberg. And I had an instant flashback to being in the bathtub and hearing about this on the hotline phone. caught up on the fact that every recipe needed jello and flour jello and or flour it either needs flour or jello there's no other recipes which i guess if it's a dessert i could see flour being like a key no she said cook them dinner and dessert oh what do you make for dinner with jello i think it's no i think this was just specifically about dessert are we recording right now yeah, so welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg <laughs> podcast. Um, this is a weird podcast because we're so short-staffed today. Um, there's only three of us here in the office right now, and so we're all podcasting, but if the phone rings, then the phone rings, and we're just going to have to stop podcasting. Mm-hmm. It is what it is today, but we figured you know, we could still podcast, and I'm sure you guys will forgive a, a phone ring in the background or us having to pause a billion times. Yeah, it yeah. happens. Yeah, but we have a special treat for you. Um, we have a kind of a survivor story of our own. <laughs> oh, God. It really was. <laughs> More like a war story. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we wanted <laughs> to tell you, we decided we wanted to just share a client story today. Of, as advocates working with clients, sometimes we have a lot of really awesome stories, and sometimes we have some really intense stories and emotional stories and chaotic stories, some of which you've heard. Um, but we're going to share a special story today about the time that a perpetrator lived in our shelter. Yeah, it was... It was a great time. It was a good time to be alive. It was. And we were short-staffed then as well. It's not right now. We do not have a perpetrator in our shelter. No, this was a year ago. Mm -hmm. It all ended very interestingly and as expected. And began interestingly and... uh, in the middle, it was interesting. There was not a not interesting moment. No, the whole thing was very strange. <laughs> yeah, there's special kinds of drama that we were not used to in shelter. Like, we're used to, like, them having drama from, like, outside shelter, maybe between roommates, but this was a different kind. Yeah. It's just a whole different ball game. Yeah. With this sweet family that we had. Mm-hmm. Who wants to start? Tell the, tell the beginning. I don't remember how so, it So SAFE serves victims of family violence as well as domestic violence and sexual violence and stalking. So if somebody calls us and says that they are being abused, they're, say they're living with their parents, um, they're an adult living with their parents and their parents are abusive to them or they're living with their brother and their brother is abusive to them, we can provide them services. And so... This was a same um, sex couple who had a son and they had called and talked to an advocate because they were staying in a shelter in another county in Wyoming and they were fleeing family violence from another state and their experience at this shelter was not good at all. I remember. They I remember were this, not, actually. And I was immediately like, there are a lot of red flags here. Because well, they were saying that this mm-hmm. shelter staff was racist, and they had a service animal, and the shelter staff wouldn't allow them to have their service animal in the shelter, and made them take it to an animal shelter. And that they were, I mean, if you believed everything they told you, you would have thought that the shelter they were staying at was just like a horribly traumatizing place to be. And so I, I had some red flags right away because I didn't necessarily 
I mean, we try to believe people, but I know this director and this program, and I didn't really believe some of the things that were being said or just thought there was at least character. A, no, it was yeah. weird. But, you know, stuff can happen. I don't know. Like, we all have bad so, days. So, yeah. Like, they mess sure, up. Like, and people interpret things differently, and so whatever. And our inclination is always give the benefit of the doubt, believe yeah. the survivor, which really shot us in the foot this time. And the reason I said I remember this is because I was on hotline when we were trying to sort all of this out, and an advocate called from another program about this, mm-hmm. and I was in the bathtub. Mm. And I had an instant flashback to being in the bathtub and hearing about this on the hotline phone. Yeah. I remember it all now. So they, they called and, like, we did an assessment with them, and then we expected that they would, like, show up here because this program just wanted them gone. And we're yeah. like, please go. Please go to Laramie. Um, but they didn't call for, like, three weeks. And then suddenly they called again. Yeah. And talked with an advocate. And basically we like went back and forth about how like some of us were like, this seems really unbelievable that they're having these issues at this program. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, there were staff members who were like, well, we should, you know, if the worst thing we do is give somebody a place to stay, like just help these people out and we'll just see for ourselves. Like we have to get to know them ourselves. Mm-hmm. We can't just like tell them no and slam the door on them. You know, they're fleeing violence. And there and, was also a red flag for me too. I think we were questioning like how their story of victimization added up as well lined up. There yeah, but I, time holes and things. yeah, there were there were some between but like the initial assessment and the second assessment. Yeah, I was gonna say, but I it think that was right off the bat. Yeah, no, and it wasn't big enough that like we were like, this right. is really weird. Like yeah. it was very there's, subtle. Yeah, there's gaps and yeah. stuff missing from a lot of our right because that's how trauma works. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they got here and were sheltered, and it started out. I think the first, like, the first day with them was uneventful, I feel like. Right. But then quickly... Super charming. Yeah, they were nice. Instantly won a lot of people over. Yeah. Really sweet. Yeah. And these were two women. Mm Mm-hmm. And their little boy. That's right. Yeah. And then... Which should have been a red flag within itself, like, the super charming thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But so many of our clients are really great. So it's just I know, like, but I feel like there's a difference between being really charming and just being really all around good people. Sure. Yeah, it was it was it's a little hard to tell though. Well, and and part of my like having like the red flags were that the the person who was what we later decided was the perpetrator in this relationship had she knew everything. Like she knew that this other program was mm-hmm. doing everything wrong because she had a master's in social work. She had a master's in special ed. She right. had run a domestic violence program. Like she had all of these credentials and she knew that like, this is not how it's supposed to go. And right. that's a huge red flag. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, well, and, and two, like with the pathology of somebody who's been chronically abused, mm-hmm. which was their story. And we'll get into their story a little bit in a little bit, but it makes sense. Like if you've been in an abusive relationship for, for a lot of our clients, it's years and years, you have been torn down and torn down and torn down. And so by the time nine times out of 10, the clients we see are very meek mm-hmm. and very, um, they think they know nothing. Yeah. Because that's what they've been told forever. Yeah. And of course there are people that don't fit into that mold, right? No, there's no cookie cutter for a domestic violence victim. Right. That's it. Like you can imagine if you've been in a relationship for years where you've been told you're trash yeah. over and over and over again, after a certain number of years, you're going to start thinking, okay, well maybe I'm kind of trash, you yeah. know? Yeah. Remember when 
we first met them. So because both of them had to qualify That's right. for services, we had to talk to them each separately. And the one that we kind of felt like was more of a victim of their partner than mm-hmm. a perpetrator in this situation, she had trouble talking to advocates by herself mm-hmm. and her partner was kind of her voice. That's right. Which was also a red flag, you know, talking about meekness. That's right. Well, in the play devil's advocate, if you were a partner in a relationship, so in family violence, like if you're, if you were the target of the abuse, it's perhaps like very possible that you might feel more downtrodden than your partner. Right. And if you were a protective partner, then you might want to help this person that feels a little bit more disempowered. Yeah. I don't know. See, the, you're getting firsthand why being an advocate is so hard. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, like there's a lot of gray here. Well, so basically what happened was that these women were, according to them, because they were in a same-sex relationship, one of the women's mother, who one of the women was the biological mom of the little boy. Mm-hmm. So her mom was very concerned and upset and like irate that her daughter was in love with a woman and mm-hmm. married a woman and was basically like stalking them and the brother um, too. And the her brother, brother too was violent. violent with yeah. them, like breaking into their home and they were not safe. Threw them across the, the yeah. hood of a car. Threw them across the hood of a car. Threw them across state lines. Yeah. So yeah. it was pretty scary. And so And they had fled from state to state to state to try and get away from them and grandma and brother found them everywhere they went. Yeah. Which is also, I mean, although we do have a lot of clients that do go from shelter to shelter, that's also a red flag for homeless. Sure. For chronic homelessness rather than, like, acute victimization. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which, although, like, a lot of homelessness, especially for, for women and families, is due to some victimization. Sure. Like... For funding purposes. It's not an immediate yeah. safety concern because they're fleeing violence right now. Right. So when we talk about, like, the black and white that is not present in uh, gender-based violence work, you're seeing it firsthand yeah. right here, right? Because, yeah. like, yeah, they're victims, but also not recently enough to qualify. But then at the same time, are they having trauma symptoms or are they symptoms of something different? Like, this is just messy stuff. The other thing that was really concerning to staff was that the, the child was in elementary school. He was elementary school age and he supposedly was severely autistic. Right. And so he was homeschooled because the perpetrator in this situation did not she because she had a master's degree in special ed. Right. She felt that she was the best person to take care of him because he was so combative, so violent. They couldn't have him in school because every right. time he was in school, he would hurt someone. He was he would beat up the teachers. I mean, he was just. They and he said, would get expelled. Yeah, and yeah. he would get expelled. They made it sound like this kid was like a a wild animal. Yeah. That's how that's how she talked about him. I think mm-hmm. they said that he was institutionalized several times. Yes, yeah, several times. Although but every all interaction... of these things had happened, he had never been given a formal diagnosis outside of her right, diagnosis. Right, she had diagnosed That's not something we knew right off the bat. No, but every time that we were around this kid, when he would come into the office and be in the playroom while the parents were working with staff, he was never anything except quiet, polite. I mean... He was a, he was seemingly a really meek, 
quiet, sweet little boy. And we were not seeing this, like, and so when, when we told them that, like, interesting that he's so violent and hostile at school because that's not how he's been with us. And they said, oh, well, he's only like that, like at school and at home. He's not like that here. Yeah. Cause they mentioned a couple of times that like they were up all night because he would be screaming yeah. in the shelter and, but we never, sorry, heard from other shelter residents. Yeah, and we even checked in on our other shelter residents. Because the walls sure. are thin. Yeah. And just, they were never like... Well, just to make sure that they were okay. Sure. You know? And they were like, oh, no, pretty quiet. We don't hear anything. And one of our shelter, um, one of our rules is that at night when we do curfew, like checks for curfew before we set the alarm, we look in on everybody. Like we want to make sure everybody's there and everybody's safe. And they did not want our staff or volunteers checking on him. They put him to bed early, like at eight, which is fine, but they did not want anyone going into his room and seeing him. You weren't allowed to see him because it would wake him up and then he would be up all night screaming and wrecking the shelter apartment. Yeah. It was a trigger. It was a trigger for him. And so we kind of went round and round with, this was just like all realized in the first week they were here. Right. These, all these little things. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was around that point that the staff started to become concerned. So at this point we have major red flags. Yeah, major. But what do we do? This is being a little weird. This is not feeling right. You know, it does, we have, we have, and we are trained enough to know that like, this is what the red flags are for when somebody's perpetrating abuse and one partner in that relationship looked a lot mm-hmm. like they were perpetrating abuse mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and so at this point we're like well how do we how do we intervene you know we can't house this person if they're being a perpetrator of domestic violence that's obviously not on the table at all that's mm-hmm. a non-starter Mm-mm. but at the same time how do we keep the other person safe the other person and the child safe yeah that was hard and this was hours of conversation. Yeah, we went round and round and round. Ooh, Should I look at notes to like remind us like what conversations we had? No, no, no. That's fine. I don't think we need to. Well, and I, I don't just want remem- to be too specific. Either. And I just right. remember it was like tons of conversations, and and this kid was not being educated. Like he was yeah. not enrolled in school. Right. That was the hardest part for me was the kid. And they 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 were here for a long yeah. like a while, like several weeks. And yeah, a month more. I think it was almost their whole mm-hmm. It was. And the child was not in school and so we got to a point where there were so many red flags having to do with this kid who supposedly have had very serious Challenges and barriers because of his autism, according but didn't to them. Have any treatment. But had no resources except well, for the perpetrator. And the weird thing, too, is that we offered like child advocacy mm-hmm. services, we offered child therapy, mm-hmm. and there was very much a like, no, 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 no. Don't don't come near the boy, mm-hmm. you know? Because mm-hmm. this one client who we thought was the perpetrator was the one that could best handle him. And this and was not it. his biological mother. This right. was the other woman. Right, 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 right. Um, and so there were so many red flags. And we got we got pretty nervous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we made a report That's right. to DFS. Mm-hmm. Because in Wyoming, we are mandatory reporters of child abuse and neglect. And even if we suspect child abuse and neglect, we need to make a report. And this child was being, we were pretty certain was being abused yeah, and definitely was being neglected. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, I think it was you Libby yeah, that made that report. And 
um, that didn't go that well. did not go well because anytime that we make a report about a person that we've worked with, which we don't, we don't have to do super often, yeah, but like super if, if somebody discloses that like their perpetrator abused their child and law enforcement hasn't been made aware, then we have to make a report and we always have a conversation with the client about yeah, that. Cause not because we have to, by any means, no. just because if we feel like that's the most ethical option, it's not going to do more harm than good. Then we think that's our responsibility that's trauma informed to be like, yeah. this is what we felt we had to do. And this is what we're going to do. And so we told them yeah. that we were doing this and that was upsetting. They left pretty quick. They Well, they had left before we made the report. They left shelter because we had become so full in shelter that mm. we had to put a roommate with them. Remember? Oh. Because there was yes. a huge construction project happening in Laramie, and the motel we used was full of construction and workers. They could tell that we were getting wise to that and game. We, yeah. Because here's the thing, okay? Because they had had their own apartment, which they talked about how, how that was really important all the time because of their of the son, boy. and he was he had outbursts, he could get violent, and he just needed his space, mm-hmm. and they needed to really maintain their environment, mm-hmm. which makes total sense to me. Mm-hmm. That story checks out 100%. That said, when we don't have room, we don't have room. And so we had to house another woman in that apartment. And they did not like that. They did not like no. it. And they were saying this woman, her physical safety is in danger mm-hmm. because of our son. She, this is not going to go well. People are going to be injured. This is a code red. And so we checked in with her very frequently to make sure she was okay. You know, and we said like, you know, there's a boy in this apartment that has autism and they, and he really struggles with that. And that's kind of your option for, for housing at this point. We're full up until that point. And she said, you know what? I want the space. Seems like better than what's going on at home. I'm in. So we checked in with her quite regularly and she was like, hmm. He's fine. Pretty calm over He's here. okay, kid. Everything's good. Yeah. You know, seems yeah. like normal, normal stuff for a kid. Yeah. And so they suddenly, they were just like, we can't, like, we can't deal with this anymore. And they left and they decided they were going to go to a motel. That's right. And they paid for it. Like Mm -hmm. they went to their own motel or no, they probably went to an agency in town and had them pay for it is my guess. And told them all kinds of crazy things about safe and how horrible we are. And we wouldn't help them. Right. And so it was at that point that like watching this little boy being screamed at in the parking lot, Mm -hmm. loading up their stuff and that we decided like we're making a report because now we don't have eyes on this kid anymore. Yeah. 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 And like, let's just, let's like lay out all the facts. This is a really windy story. Much as it with much of advocacy it is, but so there's an abusive partner in this household. Mm -hmm. He most likely, so the child is most likely witnessing domestic violence between moms, Mm -hmm. which is emotional abuse Mm -hmm. and enough to make a report. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we know that he's being kept out of school, which is educational neglect. Mm-hmm. We know that he has medical concerns, mm-hmm. severe autism, mm-hmm. and there's been a refusal of treatment down many different avenues. Yep. So that's medical neglect right. and possibly physical abuse, depending on sure. depending on the amount. And of, we saw him mm-hmm. get screamed at. So right. there was some. So that's just like the bottom of the yep. barrel here. And then mm-hmm. the things that we witnessed were him getting screamed at, him getting pulled around. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no way at this point that we could that we could not make 
a report. Yeah. We were out of the gray. This is black and white. This is child abuse. Yeah. 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 We knew we needed to. So Mm -hmm. we did. Right. And I was here at the office when we called and told them that we had made that report. And that was not a great conversation. No. Um, And basically what ended up happening is DFS made contact very quickly with this family and essentially told these people that that child needs to be enrolled in school by like they gave them a deadline of less than 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And if not, we're going to have a problem. And basically the county attorney is going to get involved because this child has to be in school because he was like eight and he had to be in school. Well, and the thing is like everyone's touting these severe, severe autism things. Yeah. Huge emotional disruption, behavioral disruption. Like at that point, that kid's not safe unless he is in a structured environment with treatment. Not in a motel. And that's if what they were saying about him is true. Exactly. Which I don't think it was. Which we we have serious doubts about. That said, you know, that's the information we had. Mm. So that's what we gave to DFS. So if that's the case, then something really doesn't add up. And so I know that DFS followed up with um, the child's district from where they came from, the state that they were living in, and spoke with the school district about his case and were told, like, there were no concerns with that child. So everything that they had told us about, like, him being expelled and aggressive at school and violent with everybody was crap because the school district was like, no, we didn't have... I mean, he just left the district. Like, they just pulled him out. Mm -hmm. And so... I mean, it's my it's my belief that they were using this BS story about, or maybe he does have autism on a, maybe he's on the spectrum, but I think that they were greatly exaggerating the barriers that he had in order to get resources that they wouldn't have otherwise been able to get had he not had those barriers. But trying to be trauma informed, like you know, it's not unheard of for us to have you know, true victims who have been recently victimized and are in danger to um, use whatever resources are at their disposal to survive. Get their needs met. Yeah. And so that's something that we see, you know. Well, I mean, I think that we see that sometimes with survivors who use the resources that they have to survive. But I think that this was driven by this woman's, the perpetrator's, I think it was driven by her, and I am not willing to give her any... I am not. I, I'm not going to be trauma-informed with that person. I do not give trauma-informed anything to a perpetrator. Yeah. Because that's that's different. That's me... That's... that's Being trauma-informed means this person's doing something because of... Because of... It's coming from a place of trauma and understanding that. And for me, this is coming from a place of power and control. Well, and especially if she's as well-educated... Right, and she was she was in total control of that family. Yeah, and she was. That that's 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 just perpetration. And it was actually heartbreaking. It was it really was, sad yeah. because the her partner, the perpetrator's partner, like whenever she would, so because you, they're separate clients, we'd have to work with them separately. Yeah. And so if there was, and they didn't like that. No, they really didn't. But if there was something that affected just one of them, then. It just needed to be them, you know? And we have protocols like that for situations like this, to catch this. But the anxiety from her partner, whenever she was working with an advocate alone, was so high. Did you guys see that? Yeah, yeah. She And and the perpetrator made it sound like she just has really bad social anxiety. Right. But it was not... I mean, she didn't really have social anxiety. Like, we, I remember talking to her, and we were like, she doesn't seem to have yeah. social anxiety. 
in a normal situation. And yeah. But every time that she was without right, but, her. Right. I just mean like she didn't seem to have this like what the other person was saying mm-hmm. that she couldn't talk to people. Right. But she did seem like anxious about what she was allowed to say mm-hmm. and decisions she was allowed to make. And she always felt like she was in trouble. Yeah. 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 Like, it very was pretty frequently concerning. It, there were only a handful of times that in the couple of months that we worked with them that we ever spoke with her alone. I no. would say. Yeah. And the couple of times that we did, I felt like she was led to believe that she was in trouble mm-hmm. because she was there because she was in trouble. Yeah. yeah. No, she, like, it was pretty quick that she was turned against. Like, it was not possible for us to help her because she immediately was defensive because of what this person had told her. Well, that, just, like, we weren't safe. Yeah. Just imagine for a second how complicated the situation is for a group of advocates who spend, you know, all of their time, at least 40 hours a week, Mm -hmm. you know, working to make sure that people are safe in the world and making sure people are safe in our program. Right. And so to have a couple month period where like, we, we know we, we cannot make the world safe. Mm -hmm. That is a very real thing, but we work so hard to make our program safe. And for the, for a, a whole couple of months, knowing that, maybe we couldn't even keep our program safe. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe the people even living in our program weren't safe. And it was the most humbling experience for me as an advocate. I don't know if you guys felt that way. It was a learning experience. Yeah. yeah well, cause then after they left and after the DFS, I mean, DFS essentially ran them out of town, not because they wanted to, yeah. but because they told them like, we're going to open up an investigation into your family. If your son's not enrolled in school, they left right away like that day. And I actually, and then not, they started, I'm not sure that's 100% right. I think they said, we're opening up an investigation. We're looking at you. And if your kid's not in school on Monday, then we're going to take action. That's what they said. Yeah. So they, there was a case open. Yeah. 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 I mean, they had been talked to by DFS, but it was going to become a bigger case and involve more people if they didn't do what the DFS caseworkers had said they needed to do, which was the bare minimum. Your child needs to be going to school. Right. Um, and so after they left, that's when they started writing reviews on Google and on our Facebook about how terrible we were. I mean, the same kind of stuff that they probably, that they told us about the The other other program. program. Mm -hmm. They were telling people about us. Did they say they were going to call the, uh, yeah, they said they were going to call the attorney general and they were going to call the governor and bring, uh, yeah, call the media. And, and that we kicked, we kicked a child with autism out on the street that we, we refused to provide services to their autistic son because he was autistic. Right. That's what they said. That's right. And I even remember, I think they even talked to the division of the coalition. Yeah. I think I remember getting a call, you getting a call. Yeah, they did. They talked to the division. Yeah. Of victim services. They did. Yeah. And they were like, okay. (laughs) Cool. Because they had heard of them before, because they had already called about the other program. Yeah, this yeah. is a and so the division's like interesting that all of our programs are abusing their clients. Well, just a, just a group <laughs> just, of them, just this client. Well, no, yeah. that's what I mean. It's interesting that this these people are going from program to program and they're being abused by all these programs in Wyoming. Right, every program. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was it was a challenge for me as a supervisor because I had never dealt with a situation like that before. Mm -hmm. And then I'm dealing with that with the staff and being looked to, to like lead this 
figure this out, help, yeah. like help your, our leader get this figured out for us. And I felt totally like a fish out of water. Yeah. I don't think anybody felt comfortable. We all were like, whoa, what? So crazy. And that's like, and we were slammed at the we same time. We were so busy. We were, and we were short staffed at the time. And, and we were, if you had a full shelter, if you are one of our most devoted listeners and you have listened to every episode of the podcast, this was, if you go back to the podcast episode with the advocates tell all, um, and we talked about some of our, our most crazy experiences as advocates, the story that I told about oh, yeah. uh-huh, the overdose in the shelter mm-hmm. and like the spaghetti on the wall. Yep. This was that time. Yeah. This was when that was happening. <laughs> this happened concurrently. Yep. They were in another apartment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy it was in crazy shelter. In we shelter. were running to keep up. And at the end of the day, we're, it's like we ran all day, every day, trying to get everybody's needs met and make sure all of the balls were in the air. And then like, we're about to close and we're like, okay, so what are we going to do about this? What happened today? And we'd like debrief about it. We never had a, t- a chance to like process it. Yeah. So we were just like running to keep up with this family. You know, what's really interesting though, is that even though this occupied so much of our mental capacity at the time, they didn't really give us any other problems. No. Like they were. No, they didn't. They didn't like quiet. set the alarm off. They didn't like violate shelter rules. I mean, that's why what was so hard because we couldn't, we were in a situation where we didn't know how to, if somebody's like violent with another shelter resident or they're really abusive to staff or they're always setting off the alarm and the cops are coming out four times a night or who knows, like they're Mm -hmm. drunk in the shelter, they're overdosing in the kitchen, throwing cup of noodles everywhere. Like then we have a reason. Lo mein. Sorry. Shrimp lo mein. Okay. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, then we have a reason to be like, shelter's not appropriate for you. This but with these people, they didn't know we were on to her. And yeah. they didn't, they, it was, that's why it was so hard. Cause we, and we didn't really want to kick them out either. Cause we wanted to be able to make sure the little boy was okay. And the girl. And yeah. the girl, the other, the other mom. Yeah. So it was a really crappy well, situation. And it's like, what, what's the alternative? Have a sit down with all three of them and be like, okay, here's you're how this shakes out. You're abusive. You're abusing your and child. And your son needs to go to school. And your wife. And I don't know what to do. I, I you're kind not of safe. wish we had the capability to do that. Like, but at it's the like same an time, intervention. Yeah, yeah. Like we, we needed cameras, that whole intervention. <laughs> yeah, like, Show. A cop or two. <laughs> Everyone would prepare written statements. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think I might have actually have like advocated for like having a conversation. You did. You did. Not well, with the perpetrator, but like right. with the you did. mother. You, you did. did over and over. Yeah. And, and we th- knew that if we told her anything, she would go tell because yeah. she was so brainwashed that she would go tell the other one, and That's then it right. would blow up. Yeah. And we and actually. We got a consent form signed to ha- to call another program. Do you remember this? Yes. In Utah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So we got a consent form. Oh my gosh! Form I forgot about this. To call another program because there was some loose end there or something, and so the the abusive partner was like, "Yeah, here, go ahead and give them a call. They'll know everything they that we're talking about. They helped us a They'll lot. Help, they can help navigate this situation. Right. So they signed the release of information. I called them, and the other program was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, no. Uh, the reality of that is that I think what we had happen is we had suspicions of abuse, and so we asked one of them to leave, and... Everybody followed. Yeah, yeah. Their director called me and was like, I want to talk about this couple that you have in your shelter. And yeah. I know that you can't. I mean, I, it's fine. But she said, 
we suggested we we suspected that she was abusive to yeah. the child and to the other mom and we told her she had to leave because she was a perpetrator and that went over like a turd in a punch bowl and everybody left <laughs> exactly yeah so it's like what are we going to redo that situation yeah so we knew that wasn't going to be successful because that had been tried and failed and our goal over and over and over again is like how do we keep mom and child safe right how do we keep That's mom and child always. safe exactly yeah this was the messiest time. And I, what, I, what it came down to, I think, was just like a time bomb where it exploded. Yeah, and it, you know, I would say that, like, every domestic violence... Like, I think it's really good for domestic violence and sexual assault programs, especially shelter programs, because shelter programs are a whole other beast, mm-hmm. deal with situations like this because it's such... At the moment, it's hell. Yeah. But it was such a good learning experience for the staff. Yeah. And... Well, that's... You're not going to learn about stuff like this if your clients are all smooth sailing. Well, you know, and something that we talked about last summer, since it was so crazy, like you said that it had been the craziest. Yeah, it was. was like the crazy, just like the craziest client. It was the craziest thing. Yeah, because we at the same time we had clients who had severe and persistent mental illness. We had clients who were very verbally abusive to the staff. It was all at the same time. Like literally, we had a shelter full of like fourteen women who were extremely difficult except for one who was the one in apartment Ooh, C with the poor girl yeah just standing in the corner shocked and oh, horrified yeah. at the girl From passed out with the low main I know with the low main she was the only one in shelter that was like chill yeah she was trying to just figure her shit out get her life and going. <laughs> everyone was just exploding around her so it was a difficult summer and this yeah, is something that we expect to see more and more as we become more trauma informed yeah and take in totally. more because yeah because you're you're taking in a lot of people who have a lot of barriers and a lot of trauma hopefully not perpetrators again but yeah I wouldn't if, I wouldn't redo that no but if that happens I would say we have a lot of tools now to deal with that's what I was thinking about though like what would experience. we have done differently I don't no. think anything I mean I think probably I always tell people like trust your gut when you're initially sheltering a person, yeah. trust your gut. Yeah. And if something sounds really crazy like this did, like we don't often have that happen, no. but this was like wild. I don't think we probably should have sheltered them from the beginning. But I think also saying if the worst thing you do is give someone a place to stay and then yeah. reevaluate them for shelter, that's a that's not that's a trauma informed way to Which do is advocacy. That's what we say all the time. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not often that we have people calling saying that like a program was racist to them and made them sleep in separate houses because one was Spanish. <laughs> they keep the Spanish people in a colored house. That's what those were their words. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. And yeah. that they had Spanish. And yeah, and I'm Spanish and Amy. And then they had this service dog for their child's severe autism and they made their dog stay at the animal shelter and screw your kid's autism. We don't have dogs here. Like, I just was like, what happened to this? Yeah, we should have, we should have. I was just like, I told Katrina, I was like, I don't believe that about that program. And that program went through hell. They called the mayor. They called the media. They had to cancel a fundraiser. Oh, yeah. It was horrible. That's right. They had like reporters up in there. Oh, yeah. They can't, like the mayor called the director of this program and was like, what the hell is going on? With your program. And none of it was true. Right. It was horrible. Yeah, we got they just easy. Put, it was, we yeah. really did. We got a bad Facebook review and a bad Google And when review. I see that director, she and I always joke about it. She's like, so sorry I sent those people to you. <laughs> they, got, they, got, like, they got the worst end. They did, them. though. They really did. Like, we got a good learning experience, and they got um, 
the media in their backyard. So I would say we won. We definitely got the better end of the deal there. We came out ahead. We came out on top with that. I'm still laughing at the idea of holding an intervention. Oh my gosh. You know, there's a lot of times that Brittany's like, I think (laughs) that we just need to sit this person down. I'm like, Brittany, I don't know. Genuinely, Brittany was like, let's just hold an intervention. I'm too optimistic. No, it's, you're great. No, it's it's good. Like, wow, Britt, I don't know if that's going to go well. I just kid. I'm just playing it out on in my head. I'm playing it out in my head with the three of them sitting there, the child sitting perfectly. <laughs> no, no better behaved than any other child we've seen in shelter. Yeah, and right? he was. He was such a good kid. Right? And then us just like reading our prepared statements, you know, <gasps> phoning in grandma. Yep. <laughs> like, I think I did want to write a letter. I wanted to write a letter. You did. At the end of it, we know that grandma, I am almost sure that grandma is chasing them from state to state because her grandchild is living in this chaos. That's right. And she's like, my grandson, save him. I need to save like him. Like 911. Yeah. I thought it was because he was possessed by the devil. Well, that's what they told us. So they told us the grandma thought that, not that he really was. That he was possessed by the devil because of autism. Because of his autism. And right. because of the gays. Oh, yeah, because oh, yeah. they were gay. They were gay, so they invited the devil to possess, possess the little boy. And that's why he How? beat up the teachers at school. That's right. But he didn't beat up the teachers at school, according to the teachers at school. And he was not possessed. And he was not possessed. And being gay does not invite Satan to possess your children. So none of those things added up. Which we know now, but before I had questions, you know? (laughs) I wasn't sure how that all worked out, so... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we would be on, like, the bad side of things being, like, a bunch of... Mormon lesbians. Mormon lesbians, that's right. Oh, another client said that. That's, <laughs> another. A, that's another story for another time. <laughs> That'll be our next war story. <laughs> this is a new series on the podcast yeah. called Advocate War Stories. Yeah, so if you want a job where you never know what's going to happen from one day to the next, and you might deal with total chaos one day, and then a wonderful, rewarding experience the next day, or hour to hour, yeah. I would say you hour to should hour. work in a domestic violence shelter program. I don't think anyone will argue with you on that. Yeah, because yeah. that is crazy work. I yeah. don't watch like reality drama. Anymore. Uh, you don't no. need to. No, I live reality drama. <laughs> yeah, and it's well, crazy even work. last night we had an event last night, and on the way home, like there was just a lost cat all of a sudden, and so now we're chasing down in the suburban, chasing down the with lost your cat clients? with the clients, suburban full of clients. Okay, safe man. All Rob, animal lovers. All animal lovers parked on the side of the road because there's a missing cat in the street. Oh no. And now everybody's out calling for the cat at like 8.30 p.m. Oh, I didn't. Dark. Oh gosh. I did not tell you about this. You did not till now. (laughs) It got really, it got away from me. Yeah. I will say that. Sounds fun. It got away from me, but that just goes to show literally you never know what to expect. One time, speaking of cats, we had a woman coming to shelter and she was, she was, she had a service cat. And her cat was like, all the time, like, didn't like her, like trying to get away all the time. And so she was driving with her therapist to the shelter and the window was down and the cat dove out the window. (laughs) It was not a good service cat because it did not want to be with her. Wow. Yeah, it didn't do its job. An actual service cat? No. No. It was held hostage, I feel. (laughs) It was a hostage cat? Yeah, and it saw its out. Do we provide services for animals? I wish because that poor cat. We could do animal advocacy. Oh, Brittany's eyes just got so big. And, and a, a little misty. A little misty. 
<laughs> oh, well, like, a disclaimer we'd like to put at the end of this is 90% of the clients, 98% yeah. of the clients we work with are a delight. Yeah, they're great. You know, And it's a rewarding great, job. And we love it. Yeah. It's just those few people that slip through the cracks. Yeah. And they just turn everything mm. upside down for, like, a few weeks. <laughs> it's a tornado. And you have to maintain somewhat a sense of sanity so you can help the people who aren't turning everything upside down. Right. Right. And Absolutely. keep reminding ourselves that it's worth it. Sure. <laughs> that like, we're doing this work for a reason. This too shall pass. Is that your My motto? Oh, and everything in life. This, this too shall this pass. This too shall pass. Especially motherhood. This too shall pass. My mantra is... Um, McDonald's Diet Coke is available 24 hours a day in most states. <laughs> That's your mantra? Yep. <laughs> Doesn't really matter so how bad it gets. Yep, because you'll get you... 3 a.m., yep. Diet Coke, no problem. Yep, you'll get there. Whatever you need to do to get you through the day, right? Yep. Just two shall pass. McDonald's What's your Diet mantra? Coke. I don't think I have one. Wow. That's okay. Wow. You'll get there. <laughs> you'll get there. I'll have to think about it. <laughs> well... I'm excited that we have um, revealed this new series on our podcast, yeah, this is Advocate good. War Stories. Yeah, this is good. We will continue with this. So yeah. if this is what you like, stay tuned because yeah. we'll do some more. If this is what you don't like, then just skip all the Advocate War Stories. Yeah, because you all know because it'll mm-hmm. If you have an Advocate War Story. Oh, yeah. Tell us. Th- that would be really interesting. It's always fun to hear what other advocates, because we totally. all can swap pretty crazy stories we when we're can. together. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So send us your Advocate War Stories, or if you were a client that had a war story about an advocate that sure, was terrible. That too. We just love all the stories. We do. We love your stories. That's right. Yeah. Yep. So, um, rate us on iTunes or send us your suggestions at outreach at safeproject.org. Yep. If you are ever in need of an advocate to not be at war with. Yeah. To just get support from, please call our hotline. 307-745-3556. I remembered my motto. Okay. Oh. Make it a great day. Oh my gosh. That's not. That's. And with that. Okay. Um, goodbye. Does anyone? Okay. <laughs>